Hi, I'm Cynthia Vaca Davis. I wrote a book called Intersection, and that's with an X. It's a memoir in two voices, mine and my intersex friend, Danny's. It's about a journey we went on that ended with both of us learning a lot about how to be our truest selves. In this limited edition podcast, I'm going to share conversations with special guests where we connect around central themes of community, authenticity, allyship, and supporting the LGBTQI community. If you want to connect or learn more, I can be reached at my website, CynthiaVacaDavis.com. Two C's in the Vaca. Thanks for being part of my community. Now let's get started. This episode is about authenticity and religious abuse. Today we'll talk about the psychological consequences of suppressing aspects of your identity in order to remain in good standing in a religious community. Our guest today is Tracy Milstead. She is a licensed counselor in the state of Georgia, as well as a dear friend. She's experienced religious trauma firsthand and now uses her background to help her clients, many of whom are also dealing with church trauma. Here's the story of how Tracy and I became friends at the very first church where we both felt safe to ask questions, share doubts, and engage in honest discussions. It's also the story of how all that fell apart and what happened in the aftermath. Join us as we explore what it means to come out of a prescriptive environment and step into authentic life in your own skin. Tracy, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. We have so many good things to talk about. So we met, I guess, what, seven or eight years ago? Yes. Unbelievably. And we were in a church setting where we were starting to feel safe. Yes, we were. Yeah. And for me, it was a new thing. Me. Yes. The same for me. Very first time. I've ever felt able to ask questions and not be met with judgment, the same kind of judgment as I've had in past experiences. I mean, there, you know, we were all in different places or several of us in different places spiritually grew up in different religious environments. So of course, you know, there's going to be differences, but it was the first place where I felt like people were listening, you know okay, we're just going to listen and we're going to still like you. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's it. Not have, okay, I don't know, preconceived notions of who I am because I'm asking questions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember very clearly, you know, how we would go to different Bible studies and, and like you were saying, there were people from all different backgrounds, but it wasn't a judgy thing. Somebody could throw a curveball from left field and um, everybody just kind of go with it. And it really truly was refreshing and safe. And I thought I just, in my own naivete, I thought it was going to go on forever. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> and I remember a couple of times thinking about what will I ever do if this falls apart for some reason? what, where, what would I do? Where would I go? Because it took me my entire life growing up in churches to find one where, like you say, they're going to like you if you disagree with something. Yeah. And I thought, what will I do 
if this if this falls apart and i would just go oh, it's not gonna fall apart this is a healthy healthy place because it seems so healthy right <laughs> yes yes <laughs> oh. relationships are complex aren't they <laughs> they really truly are and i know like you had to move before you know things really truly started to change but i think yes. we were both starting to feel a little unsafe by the time you were getting ready to move, if I got the timeline right? Yes, absolutely. I had noticed some interactions with people who were participating in that community's kind of Sunday thing. But then, you know, questions went to people who were asking more questions or had come to conclusions in their own lives where that wasn't within the realm of what people could handle or didn't know what to do with. So they were being asked to step out of those participatory places of yeah. help. So that, yeah, that was, I was starting to get some red flags of, oh, <laughs> okay. So this is out of the realm of safety. Yeah. And was this like more specifically for me, I know that things started getting a little weird, I guess, for lack of a better word, because, you know, everything was great. Yeah. You know what yeah. we were, we would meet several times a week. We're having meals together. Yeah. So many great people. And then our friend, Danny, our mutual friend. Right. As intersex. Right. And at first that seemed to go well. Yes. Very well. I was really so impressed. <laughs> Yes, it was impressive. This kind of a church where this can be, this can happen. <laughs> That's right. I it was it blew me away that he would be received in such a genuine, extraordinary way. That would have never happened any place else I've ever attended or with anybody else I would have been associated with throughout the years. Yeah, for me, that was like, I guess, for lack of a better term, it was like the high watermark of, of my <laughs> Christian church attendance. <laughs> like, I just, I've never seen this before, and I'm here for it. Um, yeah, you know, we've been in this community that's just held us and um, nurtured us and brought us together as friends and helped us to make a lot of other friends because, yeah. you know, we both have kind of a little bit of a tendency toward introversion and uh, a little bit <laughs> and yet yeah. here we are in this place where we're asking questions and we're um we're seeing things happen like you know our, our friend says oh hey i'm intersex and the community just says oh cool okay let's uh let's support you and love you and then that to me just initially reinforced that i was you know, this was true Christianity in action. I was going to have a, just a front seat to watch mm -hmm. this, to watch our community do this right, not get it wrong. And, yeah. and slowly, slowly things started changing. And how did you start to feel personally? By that time, we had moved out of Virginia. So yeah, when, my when things really was... hit the fan, you were gone. <laughs> I was keeping in contact with you and I got to read the first manuscript of your book so kind of had an update through that and it was kind of a newsletter wasn't it <laughs> so much disappointment and I would have never guessed the reasons for the disappointment you know the reasons why things changed people's approach changed I don't even know how to 
verbalize that. Yeah, it was like, well, first it was like, okay, if you're intersex, that's good. You know, we'll support that. But then it almost seemed to me that when when Danny wanted to fully participate in being a man and, and dating and doing things that men do, it was like, oh, oh, wait, oh, ooh. And that's, uh. to, to me, that it, it seemed like the more he came authentically into his, his own self and his own, um, became who he always was, that started to make people uncomfortable. Yeah, it was disappointment, anger, feelings that I had about it. Because like you said, you, you know, this was a high watermark. We, you know, this is a good chance for us to get it right. And, and, support, and it, support this community, the LGBTQI plus community that you and I have always, you know, been welcoming toward. Yeah. And we haven't, in our past, we hadn't seen it, like you say, be done well in a church setting. In a church setting. Yep. It was yep. almost like it was the one thing that couldn't happen. And, and now it was, it was happening until it wasn't. And at this point, um, you were just kind of dipping your toe into your, your therapy program. You were working on the path to becoming a licensed mental health professional at this point. Yes, I was in grad school, learning all kinds of things about relationships and patterns of abuse and childhood development. And all of those, you know, things that you, a lot of people kind of naturally know. I, I grew up in an isolated personal and religious community. So grad school was, was a good training for me in just all things social and life that I didn't get growing up um, because of the isolation and various other reasons why. You know, I'm putting all these pieces together of, huh, it's interesting that, you know, in all relationships, we've got personal relationships, we've got relationships with people that we share spiritual spaces with, religious spaces with. And I had started seeing different patterns in religious institutions. I learned a lot about trauma, PTSD. There's a newer term. CPTSD, which is complex PTSD, it all started coming together for me, seeing these patterns of how people act. I mean, <laughs> I naively grew up thinking people in the church knew how to live perfectly, or, you know, you kind of picked out who wasn't or who was in sin, as we talk about. In sin, right. And those who were in sin, all of a sudden, like one, one Sunday that whoever this was is is just in the church family they're part of uh part of the group part of the community um and then we realize that they're in sin and it could be like a week later these people are gone they're off the map they're yeah they're not welcome anymore right right and is that is that accurate that that's one of the patterns you're talking about yeah yeah there's i found a facebook group i think that talked about religious abuse or religious trauma syndrome. And it has things in common, you know, it's comparable to PTSD. You know, how do we react to people who come back from war? We don't know what to do. They're acting weird. They're, they're not one of us. You know, these are kind of off the cuff remarks. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we, we want to say we have compassion and understanding and want to help them. But do we? 
when it, it comes right down to it. It oh, doesn't seem that way. <laughs> they're acting weird. You know, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> you know, they right. hit the deck when the fireworks went off. You yes. know, yes, that is exactly it. And that that's one of the things I internalized growing up in the church, that as soon as something happened, like as soon as there's a disagreement about something that is considered core, core to the beliefs, core to, you know, the fundamentals of, of, mm -hmm. of the church, that as soon as that happens, people leave, yep. um, relationships are severed and it's yep. all, it, it's, it was taught that it was all to protect the faith, right? It was, you know, we have to protect we have to protect the faith. We can't have sin infiltrating the camp. Um, that was another fun term that I heard thrown around. And, yep. and, and we lose good people. And, and I always <sighs> knew that as soon as, as soon as something, and, and the thing to me was that none of these fundamentals were the same across the board. Like you go to one church and they have a different set of things that were absolutely essential than the next church. And yeah. it was routine for me to feel like, okay, what are the core things here? Because those are the things I can't violate or else I won't be liked anymore. I'm not going to be part of the group. And right. then you move or something happens. You're in another church community and like, oh, that thing that was so verbatim in the last church, that's fine here. But no, this other thing is bad. So there wasn't any like uniform set of rules. It was almost arbitrary. Like each community had its own set of sacred rules that you don't violate or else you're out yeah yeah and what you're describing you know all of this stuff kind of brings me back to the relationship part of my training and toxic relationships or you know how do we grow and mature we ask questions and we we learn new things and in these environments we know the answers to all of the, you know, theological right answer, and there's no question asking or, and, and to me, that is, do I want to say abusive? Probably not, but it definitely doesn't foster healthy relationships or communication. For instance, I grew up with a parent who they have their own way of seeing life and there's no room for criticism. There's no room for, oh, you know, have you thought about this, which is met with anger and that, okay, I'm going to go back and say, yeah, it is abusive. It's emotionally abusive because people are all different. For those of us who believe in God, he made us all differently. We're not all going to be the same men or the same women as the churches I grew up in where you're either man or a woman. Of course, heaven forbid. I just else. <laughs> wanted to have a disclaimer that... <laughs> that's from my past experience right. I, don't wanna, I don't want people listening to this to think that they're being excluded that's that's what the environment I grew up in offered that is exactly what the environment offered you there was a standard and it, it was gender very much gendered there was a standard mm -hmm. of being a Christian woman there was a standard yep. for being a Christian man there was some amount of uh, flexibility, you know, depending again on, on what arbitrary set of standards that whatever church adopted. Um, I was at a yeah. church one time where a, a single guy I knew, great guy, couldn't be in leadership because he was a single guy. And that wasn't okay. You know, it, he had to be married. Yeah. You had to be able to show yeah. that you could 
lead a house before you could, you know, show leadership within the church. So that is, is one example of uh, that, that standard was in, in one church I went to another church. They didn't care. You know, you could be single and, and the church where we started to feel safe. That wasn't even, that wasn't a thing at all. So, but going back a minute, you, you, I loved what you said about questions being part of coming into maturity and questions were not encouraged growing up in your experiences in your churches and in my experiences in my churches. So it's almost like stunting your growth. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. And I think that's what we experienced because we want, we had these genuine questions about the way that the world works. What does God um, have for our lives? What, what does this scripture mean? Um, Why, why are there different standards between different churches? That's a question I had. And you're right. The anger tends to be the response. So that gets shut down. So you start to learn pretty quickly that if you want this supportive community and you want to stay and you want to interact within this wonderful extended family, Mm -hmm. that's the line you have to tell. Right. And like you just said, if you don't, it's met with these behaviors and emotions, anger that shuts people down, Mm -hmm. you know, keeps them in line, control controls them and manipulates them into towing a line instead of being their authentic selves. And I think you and I are, we like to analyze things. We want to know, I mean, yeah, we want to know answers to questions, but I think at this point we're okay with not having the answers to questions. It's just therapeutic to ask them and discuss them. You know, I, I think about the people that we learned about in the Bible who had firsthand relationship with Jesus. And they, they were like, what are you talking about, man? I don't all the time. (laughs) I don't understand what you're talking about, but yet we think we have all the answers. I don't, that things like that just don't add up to me. And you know, it's, I'm fine with not having the answers anymore. Right. But, but I don't feel safe telling that to a lot of the people that I grew up with because well no this is you know this is the answer and this is the bible verse and yeah it's like there's this dogma and there is a single verse that that tends to be brought out around this time about um you know always be ready to have an answer for the hope that lives within you you know that's that was just a bible verse that was just drummed into me growing up like Mm -hmm. oh no there are answers to all of life's questions no matter what you're wanting to know, the Bible has those answers. And we're trained to go and look in the Bible for the answers. And I remember growing up thinking like, well, I have a problem. I just don't think it's covered in there. And they're like, oh no, it's there. It's there. (laughs) I still have those questions all the time, you know? And it was very much treated like, oh no, the problem's with you. If you don't think your problem's answered in the Bible that's on you. <laughs> yeah. And, and that shuts you down too. You know, it's almost like, I don't know, would it be considered gaslighting? Like, no, it has to be you. It can't be the Bible's problem. 
don't no, know. No. <laughs> right. Exactly. It, there's I, everything in there. <laughs> everything. I even had a Bible that came with a list. Like if your problem is this, read this verse. If your problem is that, then read that verse. And your Me problem too. had to fit in one of those categories or else yeah. it really wasn't in there. And we can't have that. So yes, yes. <laughs> it, yeah. I had a very, I had a crisis in my early thirties that it brought up one of those questions of this is not in the Bible. How do I handle this? You know, I was going through a divorce. The person decided they wanted to come back, but I was totally divorced and devastated, but no, no, this is done. No, <laughs> I'm not doing this again. You're not coming back unless I see some change in your behavior. There were no answer. There's no answers for that in the Bible. No. Absolutely no answers. No. Some people wanted to try to tell me you're supposed to wait around for him forever. This is your one person and you're not supposed to have sex with anybody else. You know, things like that. Right. Oh, and I definitely learned that growing up that if you have a problem with your person, with, you know, they're still your person. Even if you get divorced, you can't be with anybody else unless they die. Yes. <laughs> definitely yeah. grew up with that. Yeah. So back to the, you know, religious trauma. I was traumatizing, you know, to have people, you know, they supported me as best they knew how. Sometimes people don't show themselves, you know, partners don't show themselves out of the personal intimate relationship. So you can't really say, well, you know, this person did this and did that and have them believe it. Well, you know, and there's two sides to every story. So that's where the whole religious the Bible has an answer for you started falling flat for me because there were no answers. What am I supposed to do? And no, these answers that you're coming to me with don't sound like they're going to work for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you talked about, you didn't say this, but one of the causes of religious trauma syndrome is suppression of normal childhood development. And, you know, when you're, you brought up in a home. I think we, we grew up in different homes. I think you probably had more freedom to have discussions like this at home. I did not. And I, I went to church at least one, two, three, four times a week. And, you know, I knew all the answers by the time I was pretty young and that followed me home. One of my parents followed that. It's <laughs> you do, you feel like you're supposed to have all the answers and then you don't. So yeah. what do you do with that? And there's nobody, nobody to ask because there are verses, you know, they can point to, to shut you down while, you know, you're not having enough faith because you're questioning. And, and then I was like, well, <laughs> you know, then I have the answer. Well, have you read David questioned God all the time. Why is this happening to me? And he was, you know, you point to David because he was the man after God's own heart trying right. to have conversations, but it, it's, it's never just listening or it wasn't, it was always, they've got to have an answer to give you. And what I, what I found in our group was people were listening. Yeah. They probably had their own answers and questions and whatever in their heads, but they listened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the part that felt really good because people want to be heard. They want to be listened to. And I think you're right. When you talk about suppression of, of normal development, 
I think when you have so many standards and, and changing standards that you have to continue to live up to, and yeah. you're, you're right in the sense that I think I had a few more parameters growing up just because my religious upbringing, it was like a kaleidoscope, a cornucopia, if you will, like of all the different kinds of churches I went to. So I would see, okay, so, you know, during these years, we went to this church and things went this way. Then we made a switch and, you know, at this church, things went this way and this church, things went this way. But so it was like, it was expanding all the different ways that Christianity could, could appear. I saw, yeah. wow, you can deviate off the blueprint a little bit, but also <laughs> there's still the blueprint and, <laughs> and different yeah. kinds of um, different flavors, if you will, of Christianity would come in and out of favor. And, yes. you know, I would also hear, you know, if a, a change was made, well, you know, that church, actually, they weren't so good. This church is better. And then until they weren't, and then there'd be another church. <laughs> and, right. But yet it always seemed to be the same pattern regardless of what the specifics were about what the beliefs were, the pattern was the same, which I think brings us back to what you were saying about when you were getting into your therapy program, you started to realize that all churches that you knew about were falling yeah. into these same patterns. Yeah. And one of the websites that defines religious trauma syndrome calls it a group of symptoms that arise in response to a traumatic or stressful religious experience. It's not an official diagnosis in our um, psychology, psychology manual, the DSM-5 um, diagnostic manual, but it's a common experience shared among many who have escaped cults, fundamentalist religious groups, which is what my church was growing up and most of the ones that I went to after that. Abusive religious settings or other painful experiences re with religion. And it, you know, the symptoms are similar to PTSD reduced ability to think critically, negative beliefs about ourselves, others in the world, trouble making decisions, sense of feeling lost, directionless, and alone, which, <laughs> you know, Ooh. what was our fear? Man, we finally found this one place and we want this to last forever. Right. And then, a, and then a loss of community because, you know, that was my whole community growing up. People can get, I have a friend who has nightmares about her time in a very strict religious college. So seeing all these patterns made me really rethink, do, do I, what do I need to do? What is my part in this world spiritually? How do I how can I be authentic and care about the people that the way that I feel that Jesus did? Yeah, I hear that. It's, and, and when you talk about loss of community, that is something that I'm, I'm hearing more and more about all the time from people who have decided to leave these church environments that weren't healthy. They're starting to realize that, you know, they're seeing the patterns and they yeah. have all of the things that you just read off that list. And they're realizing that, that that's what they're living through. But yeah. then they leave that church or that school or whatever community it was. And then you have this big, well, what now? What next? Um, all my people were there. And, and then you realize that your, your people weren't helping mm. you grow because they're suppressing your questions, which we already established that asking questions is part of growing. Yeah. The people aren't encouraging your growth. You leave, but then there's this overwhelming sense of emptiness. And what you're saying is 
if, if I'm hearing you right, that the psychological community, that it, this isn't, this is maybe something newer that isn't recognized officially as a diagnosis, but yeah. if I'm hearing you right, there's the community, um, the therapy community is, is aware of this and starting to yes. see more people that are yes. dealing with these issues. Yes, definitely. They want to get it into the diagnostic manual, but as of yet, it hasn't made it there. And, and to clarify complex PTSD a little bit more, PTSD is defined as, you know, kind of a one event, not, I mean, it can be multiple, but not a whole bunch of events. Um, oh, it's not like growing up in a specific way that was unhealthy. It refers to trauma that came from a, a thing that happened, a very specific thing. That yes. Happened. Very specific event thing, or that you witness someone else um, going through, but the religious trauma syndrome is more like what they describe or define as complex PTSD, which is long-term trauma relationships. You know, you're in a relationship with people long-term it continues or repeats for months, days at a time. Like some people call it interpersonal trauma. You know, long-term relationship patterns of abuse or neglect is the kind of difference between what we've come to know as PTSD or complex PTSD. So if so I'm that's... hearing you correctly, the, the religious trauma is kind of funneling into this potential new way of looking at PTSD or a, or a different branch of PTSD? Yeah, it's, it's more of a relational one, but I think people can probably have both mm. one, the other, or both. I mean, one event, you know, I, I think of people who probably came into the church I grew up in where the pastor was, you know, you know, this religion or that religion is a cult and, you know, they want to get these people in their church doors, but then they're sitting in their pews and the pastor's bashing their religion from the pulpit. Oh, so, you yes. know, I think, I think people can definitely have that one event, but for some of us who grew up in it for years, I was able to see, huh, that's really interesting that these people had some of the same behaviors and relationship patterns that some people in my personal life did that weren't <laughs> healthy for me. Yeah. And in your, your therapy practice now, do you currently see clients who have dealt with um, religious trauma? I do. I actually have a couple of them and it's really interesting to see them work through it and talk about, you know, having such a hard time to make decisions in their lives and being able to point back to, well, I was never able to trust myself. You're not supposed to, your heart is deceitful. Oh. I can't trust myself or just a general hate self-hatred because some churches preach that, you know, we're nothing without God and he would throw us in hell if we didn't say a prayer or some even, you know, you've got to do things afterward. They say it's faith by grace, but their behavior doesn't show it. You've got to keep trying to appease God to keep him satisfied. And, you know, when people describe God that way, it sounds like an abusive man to me. Yes. Not... <laughs> Not an attractive situation to 
to want no. to to sign up for it's yeah so what how do you nudge your clients um you know that come in with these questions where, where do you where do you kind of try to to move them toward mm, they each have their own journeys trauma it's a art form i think you have to do a lot of listening do a lot of validating because they haven't had people in their lives who have listened. That's one reason why, the reason I wanted to become a counselor. I've had this goal for 30 years. And my first therapist was the very first person in my life at 19 that I felt listened to me. And I wasn't very smart. <laughs> I mean, I'm smart, but I actually put, You're two plenty two, smart. <laughs> put two and two together. This is the first person who has actually ever listened to what I had to say. So to answer your question, you know, it, it's... It's helpful for clients to process their thoughts and their feelings and, and he, you know, we not even nudge them toward, you know, a lot of Christian counselors kind of nudge toward forgiveness or there has to be a goal of forgiveness or whatever. And with my clients, I find it's more, they can forgive everybody but themselves, Oh, you know, and there's so much guilt and shame that's hard to unwind and it takes time. So just encouraging them to talk about their stories and, and they make connections on their own. Our brains are amazing things. You know, it can live through horrendous things and do what it needs to, to keep us safe at that time. And, you know, that's what symptoms of PTSD are. They're a response to what happened. And, and our brains still, and body is still trying to keep us safe. So just helping them tell their stories and it has to be in their timing, you know, but even not... just that act of telling your story can be healing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if, you know, their brain makes connections, just like it made connections to keep them safe. It makes connections to, you know, when I say <laughs> reorganize the file folders in their brains that got kind of jumbled up because of the trauma, it knows what it needs to heal too. Oh, so it's powerful. Our brains are so powerful. Yeah. When you were saying a moment ago about people not knowing how to make decisions, yeah. that, that tracks because when you're growing up in a, in a religious environment, mm -hmm. um, there are sets of principles. And so there's some things you don't have a lot of decision over because if you're going to stay in good graces and you're going to stay in your community, there's only one way to decide about different things. Um, the right way, Sorry. the right way is whatever, you know, the, the church has said, you know, this is, this is the way we handle these issues. So to me, I find that a lot of people don't know themselves very well when they come out of a church community and it's almost a process and this is just anecdotal. This is just what I went through and what I've seen some people around me go through. It's almost like you have to learn what you like. What do I like to do? What, yeah. <laughs> what, uh, and it can be a very basic thing. Have you seen this as well? Absolutely. I've experienced it personally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. might turn out you like to do something that wasn't really encouraged and, and maybe you're really good at it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or maybe just brings you a lot of joy, whatever that may be. <laughs> yeah, joy. And isn't that doing the things that you authentically enjoy doing, I think can be a portal to finding your community, right? Once you realize what you like to do and you find other people that like to do that. It's, it's like you make some simple decisions, 
What do I like to do? Where do I like to go? What brings me joy? Yes. Um, You start doing things Mm -hmm. in that maybe space and community. And then maybe that's a way, that's one way I found personally to heal. Yeah. Um, I don't know if if there's psychological um, uh, principles behind that, but that's one way that I found to heal. Definitely. You know, when you're saying that, I'm thinking of, unhealthy relationships some of them you know for people who are in domestic violence situations they look for a way to get out not that that tracks very well with a religious institution but it might for some people um but we all have different reasons for leaving different relationships or communities of relationships and when you know like breaking up with a person you've been with for a long time and all of their friends are your friends what do you do? And it's not easy when you've grown up with the same people. And now you're the backslidden one. You're the, you know, some people take that verse, literally, we're not supposed to eat with them anymore. So oh, yeah. just shun them. And, and that's why people disappear. That's why people that were once, you know, trusted members of your church community, they, mm-hmm. they've gone off the map, you don't see them anymore, because yeah. the people that are not in sin can't, be at the table right right sinners and this all sounds so strange talking about it on this side of the equation it sounds so strange but we had we had to get out of that in order to get in this kind of more open space and I mean you know quick recap like you know we were talking about about Danny and about um just the church not really supporting him as he went through his journey of authenticity and finding out who he was right but we've all you know you and and me and and Danny and Danny's wife we've none of us are in church right now like you're you're not in church right now last I knew right um no so we've had to we've had to go on this we've had to kind of all just filter out and say, wait a minute, who am I? What do I like to do? (laughs) What are some decisions I can make and really do that hard work of finding community? But um, I know that I feel personally where I am at now is healthier and stronger and um, and it feels more nourishing than even where I was when we thought we were in our safe space. Yeah, I agree. I agree hundred percent. And at the same time, you know, the voices in my head, you can still hear, you know, I can oh, still hear absolutely. Them. Yeah. And that's not to say that there's a quick fix. I mean, we're telling yeah. you, we're telling you, like, if yeah. you're listening to this, and you're like, wait a minute, I think this is some bells are going <laughs> off here. I mean, there's no quick fixes. I think there's no. no immediate answers. I think the best we can offer is clues. I mean, clues are tell your story. Yeah. Um, make some decisions, ask questions, be in a space where you can ask questions. Those are, I think, strong clues if those alarm bells are going off. But yeah, the voices are still there. You can't just completely step away from it and and unscathed. I mean, there are are consequences. (laughs) Yeah. And unfortunately, one of the consequences is social, you know, Mm -hmm. trust issues and and it's, it's been, it's felt really good to have at least a few people who know me for who I am, who I can actually, you know, say things, say things that might be true now, but might change in the future or can, you know, your people who can, and say to me, 
well, have you thought about it this way? And not, you know, what a you wonderful about question. <laughs> what a wonderful freeing question. Have you thought about it this way? Because that turns it back to the person to make a decision. Like, wait, have I thought about that? And what would, what would the consequences be of thinking about this a different way? That's so awesome. freeing. It is. It is. And it's mind blowing for people who haven't analyzed or been critical thinkers, haven't had the opportunity to because someone had all the answers or thought they did or whatever. And it's, yeah, freeing opposed to feeling like being controlled. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I noticed we're we're kind of coming toward the end of our time together. And I'm wondering, you know, from, from the perspective of a therapist, um, what would you say um, to maybe encourage someone if, if they are having these alarm bells um, to encourage them for, for next steps mm -hmm. and to encourage them as, as far as, you know, what life might look like on the mm -hmm. other side of, of where they are now? I feel like I'm like right at the beginning of the journey. I'm right, like I I'm know. Halfway. <laughs> but um, finding someone, even a therapist, I think you can go online now and search for, I think there's a couple of really good websites that talk about um, religious trauma syndrome and maybe even have therapists that have gotten training or are open to talking about it without judgment. And it's a little bit trickier to find communities, but you can find them online if they're not local, you know, it feels unsafe to find someone locally, <laughs> even to ask the questions to find someone locally can be scary. You know, I still believe that there's a God from, you know, the things I've experienced in my life. And that's about all the answer I have <laughs> for myself. Um, but there's a verse that says, you know, God loves children more than parents know how to love them. I'm doing a horrible paraphrase of it. So when I think about someone like that, you know, he already knows who we are, what our strengths and our weaknesses are. I don't think, you know, this is my, I'm projecting God now, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. People have been doing it our lives forever, right? <laughs> you know, is he really going to care if you have questions? I mean, he knows we're human beings, right? And, right? and, you know, I think that's another perfectionism is another one of these issues in these patterns is we've got to do everything perfectly to appease this God that you know, we have to make him love him. And I think he probably or she, God, yep. <laughs> who has no gender and doesn't expect for pe perfection from human beings. I don't, you know, how can you expect something that you know, isn't going to be a possibility? Exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you know, we all, we all have our own experiences with what propels us into asking more questions and who we want to be authentically for other people, no matter what an institution or a community rules are. And for me right now, it's trying to figure out, it takes a long time. It takes a long time to figure out what you value and how to put parameters around that, however you want to do that. 
No, I hear you. And that's why, you know, you say you're, you're still early in your journey. I think I am too, because you, you know, once everything burns to the ground and you've got this scorched earth, you've got, <laughs> you've got to wait a while. To, if everything I've ever been told is suspect <laughs> and I have this hard time trusting now, I, I've just got to give myself some time to, to figure out what feels, what yes. feels most nurturing and authentic to me. Perfect not rushing it, you know, because in the past we had to have all the answers and now we're, we're healing and that's okay. We're resting and that's okay. That's where in the healing and the resting is where those little sprouts start to grow out of the scorched earth. You know, it doesn't happen immediately after the fire, things have to settle and we need to regroup. Some things need to be raked or you know, some cultivation needs to be done in order to switch gears. Definitely. Definitely. So here's two little shoots coming up. (laughs) Shoots of life, shoots of, of truth, um, genuine, genuine, healthy little shoots just coming up. (laughs) I think that's, that's, that's the space where, where I'm, I'm starting to move to, and it feels good. It does. It does. Being able to advocate and care for the marginalized and the, the people that are treated less than human beings. We're all human beings that for those of us who think God created us, yeah. we're all created, you know? Yes. Yes. Thank you so much, Tracy. <laughs> this has been amazing. Yeah, I always love my conversations with you and your husband and family. I'm so excited and thankful that you're telling yours and Danny's story and that it's going to be in the world. And I want to do anything I can help to share in this endeavor. Thank you for your willingness and courage. Vulnerability is not easy. It's super hard, but, you know, I think it's worth it. I I think it is truly worth it. And, And you know, I just, I want to bring, I want to bring so many people along with us and yeah. <laughs> build something that just, that's safer for, for all of us. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you, Thank you for sharing your story. This was amazing. <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, friend. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank right. you for having me. much happens in intersections, meetups, near misses, collisions. Intersections are common points, places of impact, spaces where we find ourselves often through no fault of our own. This intersection with an X is intended to be a space where people and ideas come together, where stories are told and perspectives shift. I'm so glad you spent this time navigating this intersection with me. I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Please connect with me at my website, CynthiaVacaDavis.com.